It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome back. Welcome in. This is Country Roads Confidential at earsports.com. I am Mike Casaza. Getting back on track here for spring football. I had the audacity to take a day off, Chris Anderson. Turn into news. It did turn into news. How about that? Um, on Not only on our message board, but also during the Neil Brown press conference, who, by the way, double-sided here uh, w- with you and this Neil Brown press conference started off with the, with the Mike special uh, first person that he brought up as a standout performer through the first week of practice, a long snapper, and then ends it by asking about your trip to the bourbon trail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I learned a little bit this weekend. I learned a lot <laughs> this past weekend, actually uh, did go away trip planned, rescheduled all that stuff couldn't help it had to miss a day of football um as luck would have it one of the days it's open to for what 30 minutes saturday is that right yep but we'll get into some of the things that did happen that's the the reason we're here today but uh i was under the impression that neil brown was from danville kentucky i know he's from kentucky and i knew that he played at danville and i didn't really get myself into the uh, elementary education of the football coach i covered back when i was getting to know him but i knew he's a really big deal in danville um born in bardstown which is where I was staying. And I did not know that, but I was made aware of that a couple of times during the weekend. Um, there is no plaque. There is no statue yet. Uh, I do know some Chamber of Commerce people now that I've been there and, and, and rubbed some elbows with people. So listen, Neil administration, if you want to make it happen, I know some people. Um, I've been to Bardstown more recently than Neil has, so I can make this happen. <laughs> the popularity of the head football coach will rise and fall based on what happens in the 2022 season. Getting ready for the fall is what the spring is about. That's a point Neil Brown made today. Like, hey, we use the spring to prepare for the fall. That means personnel, plans, opponents, all that stuff. Fluid process, Chris, though. I think you've heard that roughly three million times before. This is fluid. Um, As luck would have it, a whole lot has happened since the last time we talked. New players in the roster, some player movement, not positional, but maybe up and down the, the hierarchy of certain positions. Big time transfer coming to visit here soon. So it is going to continue to be fluid. But the reason we wanted to talk today, kind of provide a quick listen as to what has changed as we take a big step into our second week of spring football. And I don't know, Chris, what do you think? What do you think things heat up when it comes into spring football? Is it when that second week ends and that third week begins? Like you've been through it twice, you've done the three day install twice. You figure you probably should have made fewer mistakes the second time and be really ready to go the third time, or do you think it's at such a stage with you know new offense and, and young defense that maybe it accelerates more toward the end and, and everybody kind of surges toward the finish line? I think the biggest the, the the breaking point for me or the point when maybe the coaches really get an idea of what's going on with this team and what they have is that first scrimmage, not the one that we get to see, not the one that, that usually anybody gets to see really, but they start playing, they treat one of those days, usually, what is it, the second Saturday after they've had at least a couple practices to have full contact pads. And 
they bring out actual referees or at least have GAs act as referees and try to run. I mean, they run situational drills. They're not like, you know, put 60 minutes on the clock and let's play a game kind of thing. But it's it's different situations with actual plays, with actual situations. Um, and and I think that's when you start to get a, a sense of what's going on. It's kind of about halfway through spring because then they can make some adjustments, move some guys around, maybe say, OK, we need to give this guy more reps. I think we have something going here. Maybe we try this guy out there and so on and so forth. So I think we're not there yet, but I think it's coming in the next few days. Is that Saturday scrimmage? Yeah, I think that that should be. Usually it's that second Saturday, but I thought it, it uh, I believe during his press conference today, Neil Brown said they might try to do that Thursday some, some of that stuff on Thursday. I mean, that would only be the second day of full pads which might be kind of early, but maybe he wants to get more of that. Maybe he wants to get more game-like reps in for these guys. Yeah, 15-minute period, ball on the ground today, just go out and run some plays. First time they did it. I did see some officials in the parking lot uh, leaving as we were arriving, so that was kind of a tip-off that things were, were moving here. But, um, yeah, that's that's a big deal because you install it for three days, and then the first day of the second week, day four, all right, now we're going to do it. So you better have listened and learned during the first three days. And I would imagine the film is really useful today, maybe, maybe Saturday, dude. It didn't sound like Saturday was especially smooth. But mistakes are bound to happen. Mistakes have to happen far less frequently as you move along. And that's that's going to be the decision, decision-making factor in some of these positions, or at least like who goes where or who's higher than another person. And probably no more so is that true than a quarterback, which let's get into it. Uh, Nico Marchio had his welcome to college football moment Saturday. Uh, I did pick up my phone Saturday night just to see maybe what had happened. Had I missed anything? Um, one DM that I got, not from you. So that wasn't you that called me at midnight on Saturday night? No, I don't think so. But no, <laughs> I was so excited. Um, no, but it could have been from you. And the content was that it just wasn't a good day for Marchio. Um I don't know what's the quantity here because I've heard just he threw some interceptions. You heard numbers, yeah, three. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I think it was, you know, Saturday was his day, right? When they were going through the the order of seniority, um, where Garrett Green got day one, Will Crowder got day two, which was Thursday, and then Nico was supposed to be working with the first team on Saturday, and I'm told that. It was a rough go, and, and that was the very first thing I heard when I was poking around trying to hear how things went in practice. Again, we only got 30 minutes, so a lot of this was secondhand information, but um, good sources will say. And it was it was a rough day for Nico, is what I was told. I, I was told by one person that it was three interceptions in about 15 minutes, and I checked that with a second person who told me, quote, at least three. Um, Neil Brown didn't give numbers there. But noted, as you mentioned, that that Saturday was his welcome to college football day, I believe was how he phrased it, uh, which is to be expect expected. As Neil Brown noted, he should be getting ready for prom right now. Like he should be in high school. That That's part of what's happening. This is part of the growth curve for those guys who enroll early and are true freshmen that are trying to play the most difficult position on the entire field. I mean, you have to read 11 different players on the opposing side while also knowing what all 11 players on your side of the field are doing. So it's a lot to take in, especially when you're making that jump from high school to college. Cause Nico played a, a pretty tough schedule for high school, mm -hmm. a, a really tough schedule for high school. But, and this is why I laugh at all those people who say a really good high school team could beat a bad college team or a really good college team could beat a good and a bad NFL team. Mm -hmm. 
those really good high school teams that he played, they might have four FBS caliber players on their defense. Maybe. Maybe. Like, really good teams might have four. Now he's playing a team that has 11. 11 FBS, you know, defenders against on the other side of the ball. So it's a, it's still a tough transition. No matter how tough his schedule was in high school, he's going to have uh, dips like that. And again, is one practice. By all accounts, he was okay Tuesday, okay Thursday. So Saturday, not great. Today, uh, I've heard some more mixed results. But again, this is the second week for the fourth practice for a true freshman that should still be in high school. I'm not too worried about it. Uh, just going to take some time to grow with that. Yeah, and I hope that people can maintain the point that you made, which was that he was first on Saturday. And look, that may sound bad. Boy, they put him in the driver's seat, and he couldn't keep it right of center. Okay, that's fine. Man, the difference between the first defense and the third defense on this roster, <laughs> extreme. That first defense is going to be good, and I would say very fast in the back. They're not going to do a whole lot to to try to confuse Marchio that first day, I don't think. Um, that third day, I should say. So it's going to be just fast back there, and they're going to be in spots, and they're going to get from A to B quickly. So there, there is certainly potential for mistakes. But that first defense is probably a good distance from the second defense, too. So if his first two days were against the third and second defense, that's a big step up for the first defense. I'm not cutting him slack. I didn't see it. I've only heard things, and, and who knows where the truth is there. But you could certainly see a situation where a guy is amped up to go the first time. And by the, the reports for that, the picks came early, too. So, so maybe he just had the adrenaline up. Maybe he was trying to make something happen. Who knows? But again, he was staring at a pretty good defense. It's a good defensive line, fast linebackers, fast secondary. The two corners sound like they're they're doing pretty well right now, too. So listen, that, that just may be the way that happened that day. Neil Brown did say he bounced back better. Uh, so we'll see, too. Um, offensive line, it really sounds like they found six. Um, left to right isn't much of a surprise right now with Milam settling in a left tackle. Frazier's been exemplary. Brandon Yates, by all accounts, has done his job at right tackle. They do have something to think about with Jordan White, though. That's something that we heard early on, that the winner was great for him. That was something that Brown echoed, and he's, like, right there right now in that number six, number seven spot for them. Where? How do you get him in? And when he plays, does he come in for Nestor? Does does he move Nestor out to right tackle? And if it really works out, Nestor at right tackle over Brandon Yates? We'll see. I don't know, but that's a development they had to have. I think if you looked at one of those things, yeah, got to get a quarterback. Let's figure out, you know, running back. The obvious ones, listen, they're on a shelf by themselves. When you look at really important matters that are not going to get a lot of headlines, that depth, that six, seven, maybe even eight on the offensive line, huge. And for him to be doing his part right now, uh, I think that's a, a significant stride for them. Yeah, absolutely. I think I'm curious to see when and how healthy Doug Nesser is and when he's going to be out there fully and where he goes once he gets out there because – um, and I just don't know if this is a temporary thing, uh, as you noted with, with Jordan White and, and what they're going to do on that right side. Anything else catch your eye here? Yeah, I like that they're sticking to the we put Wyatt Milam on the left hand side because he's left handed thing. I appreciate that. It's true, right? It is true. He's left handed. Also, uh, I, I just this is intel that maybe you shouldn't share. Uh, Brandon Yates is right handed. Oh, Mike. Right tackle. Right tackle. I, I, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to clip that from this podcast because we can't let opposing teams know that information. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Receivers, um, Bryce Ford Wheaton, Sam James, sounds like they're doing their part. They were really happy with their top three, the three veterans, the three older guys. I would assume Reese Smith is in there, but 
Sounds like he blew a tire during Saturday's workout and um, going to be out for about a week. I believe you had that Saturday afternoon, correct? Uh, I can't remember if I put it on the board, but yeah, I think I got whispers of that Saturday because that's that is when it happened. I was told that um, he may not even have been out there when media was out there. That that it happened pretty early during Saturday's practice um, and, and was not out there later during the day. Um, so yeah, not, not expected to participate in practice for at least a week. I'm told it could be the whole spring, which would be unfortunate. Um, he is, he's, he's kind of in that, that in between zone. Like, is he a, a quote unquote known commodity? I'm not sure. Like, I think they, they know that he can be a, a contributor, but this was, this spring was an opportunity for him to really kind of make an impact with a new offensive coordinator and a new wide receivers coach before these two junior college receivers get in here in May. Yeah, and who knows where they go. Like, just the the constructs of size, whether it's height or weight, does not necessarily make you an outside guy or inside guy. I'd be interested to see what they do with Preston Fox right now. Um, listen, that's that's a guy that Brown continues to gush about because he catches the football. And I just I just noticed this in the, the period that we were allowed to watch last week. He makes plays. Like, he gets open in it's tight spots. The ball's on him. He catches it. He doesn't drop it. He makes plays. And... I don't know, does he get a different look at a position that he hasn't played before? Does he continue doing what he's doing? Because he's been an outside guy, I believe. But, you know, we'll see. If you got a guy who has a skill, catch the football, and you have an opening because Reese Smith isn't there, they just they don't have a lot of depth inside. They don't have a lot of depth, period. I'm not sure Jarrell Williams is an inside guy. Maybe he is. We'll see. But they're going to have to figure out a way to do that. Uh, flipping it to defense, active. Turnovers, interceptions, that's about all you can do right now. You're not doing a lot of pressure in the pass. Or you're not doing a lot of tackling. So, obviously, you're going to get highlights on defense about interceptions but the quantity has been alarming <laughs> just in the reports like just brown saying he's had two interceptions back to back days he's had two interceptions he had two today that's that's not great no unless you like defense then maybe it's good mm-hmm. who knows or i i joked about this before we got on the pod but maybe it's not a joke is that neil brown's way of sending smoke signals to jt daniels Right now, mm. let's do am it, Chris. I, am, am I doing this? Well, let's let's do two things. One, you're again when you're running four or five plays a practice, yeah. the defense is going to get the scent and they're going to jump routes, and that's that's unfortunate, but that's what happens. But that's going to happen when you're doing it this way. But yeah, it's out there. Like, boy, our guys sure are turning it over. Boy, our four-star quarterback didn't have a great day, right? And lo and behold, you have unearthed some intel here about JT Daniels. This has been kind of rumored, even reported probably incorrectly that about certain times. We were under the impression for a while. I don't think we reported this. We were under the impression for a while he would be here this weekend. I know you and I even talked about that. Like, man, they might close that practice. Well, no, not here this past weekend. One player was. We'll get to that. But Daniels is certainly the marquee name, maybe on the quarterback market, but certainly attached to West Virginia. Yeah, it was one that I think about a month ago we reported that he was going to come the the Info I got was, quote, sometime in April. And as we got into spring ball, there were some reports that it might be this past weekend, which was obviously not April. And, yeah, I think I was under the impression that it, it could be this weekend. But then Tom Loy from our uh, our Notre Dame site, who uh, who has a long history of covering a lot of top quarterbacks and had, had covered Daniels out of high school. He goes to the QB collective and a lot of the QB retreats to cover them for 24-7 sports. So he builds a lot of relationships that really prove to be beneficial for for this type of information. And he passed along that their plan, the Daniels family plan, currently is to come on April 9th, which is two weekends from now. Um, We'll be a little further into spring practice. 
Uh, still open to the possibility of coming up this weekend, but it's sounding like maybe next week, the weekend after. So one way or another, it sounds like Daniels is coming to West Virginia in the next two weekends. And then his decision will come not long after that. He is, you know, graduating in May, enrolling at the new school in May. So it's a choice that he's going to be making in the next month. So it, it, we're, I think we're definitely, quote, on watch right now. Much quicker turnaround time for the now former North Dakota State linebacker, Jasir Cox. I don't think he's going to be a linebacker here, Chris, is he? He visits no. Saturday. He pulls the trigger yesterday. So, again, this happens in just a number of hours, two days, I think. So visit. He's here for a while. He goes home. He says, yep, got it. All the tweets are, let's go. Everybody's happy about this. But um, we podcasted about this. We released it Monday morning. What are they going to do? We both said linebacker, secondary, secondary. Which one does this cross off the list? <laughs> Can we say both? I guess. And maybe that, And that's the best part of it? Because, um, yeah, he, he – Listed in a linebacker in our system, listed as a linebacker on the North Dakota State website, in their media guide, in their depth chart. Um, but when you go and look at where he lined up, and you know, you, you see it in his highlights, you see it in some of his plays, but I, I rely on the, uh, the professionals over at Pro Football Focus who scout all these games and chart where everybody lines up pre-snap. And two-thirds of his snaps this past season were slot corner which is essentially the spear. And as you noted in your story, this jives with exactly what Neil Brown said earlier this spring, talking about trying to get bigger at that spear position to help against the run game. And, and you know, he, he was excellent in coverage, one of the highest rated defenders in coverage there were. Um, teams were only completing, I think it was 53% of their passes when they targeted guys that he was defending. Uh, he picked off three passes, allowed zero touchdowns. So, this is kind of fits perfectly into what I think they're looking for and what they're describing. He is a bigger guy with linebacker ability, but plays safety, which sounds like a spear. Yeah, he's not like Mallinger. Mallinger's a track guy who's going to run around and do man covered stuff. I think that's interesting that this guy's going to be maybe a little bit more uh, in the box isn't the right word, but he, he he's a linebacker. I mean, he's played linebacker in there, but like, no, yeah, he played the strong side of the formation too. But I put the run defense numbers in. You just mentioned the pass defense numbers. Yeah, great in coverage. They like that a lot. Uh, a safety in high school, so he knows what he's doing. Track guy in high school too. Don't forget that. Um, but he was like one of their top run defenders every year too when he played. Pretty versatile guy. So like that. Again, I wonder how many positions are permanent on this defense. Like the three defensive linemen. Oh, heck, there might be four. Yeah, you might have two tackles and a nose guard. And the nose guard might actually be a defensive tackle. It might go even. Um, the wheel is probably always going to be the wheel. They really only have one mic right now. That probably hasn't changed either. But um, beyond that, like, they're talking about just all sorts of, like, chameleon stuff, whether they're secondary, um, just different ways to get into advantageous situations or maybe more importantly, get away from disadvantages. And this just seems like a part of that plan there, too. Also like that he transferred high schools and went to one of the best high schools in the state. His senior year won an at, or won a state championship. Uh, went to NDSU, pedigree there. Um, I'm sure he's used to winning, and, and the day-to-day life of being a Bison is is just dedicated to that. That comes from uh, Craig Bold, to Chris Kleiman, to I mean the the staff that's there now too. It's it's across like a generation now. So they've been doing this for a while. He's part of that. His brother made the move. From NDSU to LSU for his final season. There's a blueprint there in the household. I'm pretty sure he knows what he's in for right now. And I think that West Virginia probably 
felt pretty good about this. Like there's there's a lot of risk involved in these FCS to FBS moves, especially FCS to Power Five. This seems like they they've managed their risk pretty nicely here. Yeah, I think it's a good move. They've had some recent success with it. Again, obviously, um, Woods is one of those guys. They're hoping that Floyd is one of those guys. Um, I think the thing that really stands out to me, big picture wise, here with some of the other, you know, piecing these things together, different positions. They have, I'm wondering if we're getting into a platoon type situation for a lot of spots because yep. it seems they are, again, this is what you were just talking about. Like they have two wildly different body types and player types at the same position on the mm-hmm. depth chart. Uh, Bandit, Jared Bartlett and Linnell Carr are both bandits. Linnell Carr is a defensive lineman. Jared Bartlett is a linebacker. And they are not the same, like they kind of do the same thing. Like they're, I, they're just very different. And then again, as, as we're talking about here with Cox and Mallinger, like Mallinger is, is a speed free safety type guy. When I think about it, like he's a guy that was hoping that he could play wide receiver in college mm-hmm. uh, and not some big, you know, in the box linebacker, which is what Cox does at times. So it, it I, feel, I get this sense that they have a few different spots, especially these, these tweener spots, where they are getting two drastically different types of players, prepping them both, and we're going to have some platoon-like, you know, groupings, uh, you know, depending on what kind of package is going out there at the time. And it's not only that, it's, they don't have to have a band on the field. And by the sounds of it, they don't have to have a spear in the field. Like, maybe not at the same time. Like, maybe you don't take the band and the spear off. Like, that's going to hurt your edges. But, like, there's – why do we need a bandit? Let's put another linebacker out there. That sounds like they think that maybe Lowe or Dixon can play spear. Um, a bigger guy for sure, but like that's they both are fast guys on this team. Like they think that those guys will win foot races against much of the roster too. So it could look very different. And, and if they're going in that direction, here's another piece who who does seem like he'll understand the the process he's in for right now too. Um, fascinating numbers about FCS to FBS transfers here. We're at about 100 now, 48 or 49 to Power Five schools last year. About 150, um, 76 were all conference players in the FCS. 17 were all conference players in the FBS. So it's not an easy jump, but the fact that he's he's witnessed it a little bit from the family perspective and he knows what he's in for now. And he's coming from a good place too. Um I don't think he's so far from the field of this to be this should be too intimidating for him. Yeah, no, I think this is these might end up being, and maybe we'll talk about this more at length another time, but the, these type of players, the the Floyds, the Woodses, the Cox, these are the type of players that West, maybe this, these are the type of players that West Virginia has success with in the transfer portal. Maybe that's where they put more of their attention. Instead of trying to grab, you know, the power five guys that are backups, you go and find those FCS All-Americans, those FCS All-Conference types, and just hope that they can translate that success to the next level. Yep, and the, the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Clemsons, they're not really going after them. It's yep. uh, a lot of Nebraska this year, but the concerning part there is you had about 30 of these kids in 2019 – about 100 in 2020, 150 last year, down to about 100 this year, too. So um, maybe that's just because you don't have all the extra year players. Maybe that was like the one year jump last year because all everybody had that extra season. Um, coming right out of the spring, too. So they're kind of in shape to go in the fall and play again. Who knows? But we'll see. It's a, it's a smaller market and something if you're good at, you're good at. And, and people will definitely t- pay attention to that. Uh, small market here did not work, Chris. We went about twice as long as normal, but a lot <laughs> to catch up on because it's been eventful behind the scenes on the field. More to come. Four down, 
10 more to go. And then the spring game on April 23rd, that counts as practice 15. We will have you covered the rest of the way. Until next time, I'm Mike Casaza. And I'm Chris Anderson. We'll talk to you later. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount Plus.